I've titled uh, this message this morning, Noah, Man for All Seasons, believing his life is relevant for us at all times and in all places. I've actually borrowed this phrase, Man for All Seasons, from the 20th century agnostic playwright Robert Bolt, who in turn borrowed the phrase from the 16th century gentleman Robert Whittington. Uh, He was a contemporary of Sir Thomas More, who was the Lord Chancellor of England, who refused to sign a letter asking Pope Clement VII to annul King Henry VIII of England's marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Sir Thomas More resigned rather than take an oath of supremacy, declaring Henry VIII supreme head of the Church of England. Sir Thomas More was ultimately disgraced, he was dismissed, and condemned to death by beheading on Tower Hill. Just before his execution, Sir Thomas More pardoned his executioner and is reported to have said, I die his majesty's good servant, but God's first. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. For many years I've been intrigued, challenged, and helped by this description of Noah, particularly the words that he was blameless among the people of his time, blameless in his generation. It seems to me that there are three significant applications of these words today. First, I believe that they are highly relevant to our increasingly polarized, feverishly judgmental, and dangerously short-sighted culture, and that they are urgently needed to effectively address the issues and power structures of our time. If I were to frame this as a question, it might be this. How might we understand our various histories with greater humility and perspective and go forward in our generation as a community pursuing to the best of our ability wisdom, integrity, and generosity of spirit? Secondly, I think these words are relevant to today. On a personal level, they're relevant to me as someone engaged in an intentionally missional role involving business. As a businessman by vocation, a missionary by spiritual gifting, and accountable to the ascending community of which this church is an important element. Framed as a question, I ask myself this. How is the way I do business, encourage others to do business, and model the kingdom of God missionally through business, honoring to him, and as far as I can discern, blameless in my generation? Thirdly, this passage speaks to us all. Living as Christians, generation by generation, with respect to what I believe is the quintessential challenge of any disciple of Jesus 
as expressed in John 17 verses 14 to 15 where it says that we are to be in the world but not of it. In the form of a question, each of us might ask ourselves this, how does my life, lived holistically in all its dimensions, set an example to others so that at the end of my sojourn on earth, it might deservedly be described as blameless. As we give thoughtful consideration to these words and to the life and testimony of Noah, I suggest we can take away two important lessons. The first and most important takeaway, because its truth is fundamental and a precursor to the second, is this. God is sovereign. God is well able to work through, over, and beyond, and in spite of our flawed paradigms, our limited understanding, and our mistakes, whether mine, yours, or those of others. Over time, God patiently works with us to renew our minds and reshape our ways to align with his perfect design. History is his story. This is a great comfort, hope, and antidote to the toxins of judgmentalism. And then the second lesson, which follows this fundamental truth, appropriating this truth that God is sovereign will hopefully, helpfully equip us, weak, vulnerable, insignificant in the eyes of the world, confused and perplexed though we are, in our generation, for that is all we have and all we are accountable for, to live with grace, decency, civility, humility, genuine reflectiveness, constructive dialogue, being agents of genuine transformative change, progressively bringing the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of earth. It is an invitation to actively, passionately submit to the presence and path of Jesus as salt and light in a decaying and dark world. For these objectives and outcomes to make sense and to be more likely attainable, perhaps it would be worth unpacking in some detail the text before us. Let me do that now. First, as we unpack this story, this narrative of Noah, we need to realize it is a story of God's judgment written in a context of appalling, comprehensive, depressing failure and dysfunctionality. It is mirrored by Paul's words in Romans, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. This is a truth we are reluctant to face and one which is, it seems, utterly absent from our public and even private discourse. All that is wrong with the world is someone else's fault, never my own. Furthermore, there is no accountability apart from you to me or them to us. As for me, we, all of us being accountable to God as our creator, that rarely, if ever, is considered. This is not man's judgment of man. 
It is the Lord's judgment of us all. The communally penitent, we have all fallen short. And the personally penitent, I have fallen short, is replaced by a condemnation of the past. They fell short. And an accusation in the present, you fall short. We set ourselves up as judge and jury of others, whether they have gone before us or our fellow sojourners with us here and now. Tragically and naively, we seem oblivious to the fact that as we sow, we shall reap, that history will judge us, even while we practice judgment on others who have gone before. We live in ignorance of and forgetfulness of Jesus' words, judge not, lest ye be judged. Alternatively, we are content to live in a sort of stupor, disengaged from and unconcerned with issues that grieve the heart of God as they did in the time of Noah and have ever since. We're blithely unaware of our myopic perspective and are upset with or dismissive of the activists of our generation who disturb our satisfied and satisfying status quo. Intriguingly, Noah is referred to by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, as a preacher of righteousness. Yet we have no record of any sermon he ever preached. Ezekiel, the prophet, refers to three men in particular as outstanding in righteousness, Noah, Job, and his own contemporary, Daniel. What a great encouragement and excellent piece of advice that our lives, not our words, are the primary vehicle of our influence on others. We are living epistles read by all men. The account of Noah is real, even while there is a great deal about it that we do not know. It deals with the profound issue of the judgment of God, not the aggrieved demands or apathetic complacency or self-righteous defensiveness of man. It is God who asks the questions. It is the Lord who examines us and declares us blameless or otherwise. Second, the model of Noah is of genuine, enduring value for us all. For 950 years, 600 before the flood, and 350 years after, Noah persevered. This perseverance had three characteristics. In Genesis 6, verse 9, we read, He was righteous and blameless in his generation. While Noah was called to be countercultural, he had to be culturally contextualized. Secondly, also in Genesis 6-9, we read, He walked with God. He chose a relationship with God over the temptations of his time, and he did that for a very long time. In verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6, we read that Noah did everything God commanded without excuses, delay, or cutting corners. And consequently, as a result of this obedience, he became God's instrument of salvation for all of creation. N.T. Wright, 
the scholar and author points out that the basic meaning of righteousness and its related biblical terms is not so much an abstract idea of justice or virtue as it is an issue of right standing and consequent right behavior within a community. Within a community. In the Old Testament Jewish court of law setting, righteous was the standing a person had in relation to the court's decision. The Hebrews had no public prosecutors. Cases were between the plaintiff and the defendant alone. Righteousness was the status of the person in whose favor the court decided. Since the standard of judgment was the covenantal law of God, righteousness in the Old Testament acquires the sense of conforming behavior to the covenantal standards. But again, it was always in the context of the Jewish community. The Torah was the covenantal charter and setting for this status of right living, right behavior, right conduct. This is important because in our day, to a large degree, the concept of righteousness is more of an individual attribute that's disconnected from life in community. We need to understand Noah's righteousness in the context of his day and in the context of his community, not as an isolated individual that we fast forward into the 21st century. Blameless is another descriptor applied to Noah. Indeed, throughout the Bible, this term blameless is used 54 times. In addition to Noah, it is applied to Job, to Abraham, to David, and even in the New Testament, it's applied to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's also applied to the Israelites and believers in general. In fact, Prior to his fall from heaven, it is even applied to Lucifer. Blameless clearly does not mean sinless, for none save Jesus is without sin. Indeed, we are sinners because, we're, sorry, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The twisted nature is already there. What then is the connection between blameless and sinless? It would seem to have two elements. First of all, blameless reflects a desire and a habit to choose the right way instead of the evil way, especially when the latter presents itself in the form of a choice to be made. And a life that is lived this way this right way over time and with, when faced with an intensity of choices such that character is tested and refined again and again and keeps coming up as gold. This is to be blameless. There's a connection between this blamelessness and conscience and I like to describe it this way. Your conscience is the muscle you exercise to live a blameless life. Your conscience is a God-given muscle. And when your conscience speaks to you about the right way, that is an opportunity to build 
line upon line, brick upon brick, a blameless life. Secondly, there's a connection between blamelessness and sinlessness in regards to it being connected to the standards of community and your participation in the life of that community. The community will never be perfect, especially as it is seen by outsiders. And the standards of community life are certainly dynamic and may well change over time. And so blameless living in our generation is what we need to pursue. And when we read that Noah was blameless, what do we take this to mean? It is not that Noah was perfect, not that he was sinless, but that when faced with choices, he chose the way that kept him close to God. As Proverbs chapter 13, verses 6 to 8 says, Godliness guards the path of the blameless, but the evil are misled by sin. Hebrew wisdom literature is always in couplets. Thus, in Proverbs, godliness is connected to blamelessness. Evil is connected to sin, and the two pairs themselves are in contrast, distinguished from one another with a gulf of separation between these two pictures. I take Noah's blamelessness to mean this. Something that is God-attested. Something that is community-recognized. And something that was exemplary in the context of his time, his era, his cultural norms and paradigms, and the unique challenges he faced in his generation. God was there in his era and walking with Noah through it. What Noah faced, we may not, and vice versa. I'm sure that Noah would look at the challenges of our day and, as the British would say, be gobsmacked by some of the challenges we face. Yet in general terms, Noah is an example for us all. For his world, too, was a world of agriculture. His world was a world of industry and technology in which the forging of iron and bronze were the cutting-edge developments of his time. Noah has lived in a world of technology as we live in a world of technology. Noah's world was a world of art and entertainment, for we read in this primeval Genesis text of the invention and the application of all kinds of musical instruments. Noah was familiar with living a blameless life in a world of art and recreation and entertainment. Noah was familiar with a world of religiosity, for in this ancient text of Genesis, we are told of that time being a time when men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Noah's world was a world of lust, of violence, of revenge. Do we recognize these broad outlines 
in our era as well. While the details are different, our generation is a world of worlds in which the same categories of human endeavor present themselves in new forms and in which the same human urges tempt us and play out among us. Advancements and decline are both present and persistent in our midst. Let us, therefore, brothers and sisters, be careful how we measure and what we measure. We can't go back. We can only go forward. It is our generation now in which to walk without blame in righteousness and with God. Noah's walk with God is instructive for me. He walked with God for 600 years before the flood, which has often led me to ask the question, I wonder how long it took to build that boat. He walked with God through the mundane, not knowing what was coming. He walked with God in the context of other people's expectations of him, which reminds me of Paul's words, if I were pleasing men, I would not be serving Christ. He walked with God in the midst of incredibly pressing and depressing circumstances. As a businessman, I've taken comfort and admonition from this reminder. The business God is asking me to build is in its own way an ark. It is an ark of safety, of rescue, of redemption, of hope, of promise, of covenant, faithfulness, and truth. Therefore, mind well how you build. Brothers and sisters, may you be comforted and admonished by these words and by the example of Noah and seek to be blameless in your generation. Amen. Do you want to speak to that? Okay, up on the screen are two questions here. I guess I should go back up here. All right, so I mentioned these two questions early on in my message, so take a couple of moments, as we will, for uh, reflection. How might we understand our various histories with greater humility and perspective and go forward with wisdom, integrity, and generosity of spirit? And the second question how does my life set an example to others so that it might be described by them and ultimately by God himself as blameless? God bless you as you think and reflect on these questions.